Hello, and welcome back to the Shadow Work Library. I have a great interview for you today with Janelle Annette, who's a women's circle facilitator and inner work guide. And she specifically specializes in using romantic relationships as the container for self-development, which I really dig. We dive into attachment theory, where you can learn if you have anxious, avoidant, or secure patterning in your relationships. Then we also talk about women's circles and how these gatherings can create the perfect container for shadow work and self-acceptance. Janelle talks about her method to navigate projection and self-rejection. And then we talk about inner child work. And I share one of the practices that's helped me release some very deep-seated stories. And then Janelle gets into how she works with this method and changes timelines with visualizations. She also discusses common blocks women have and how to release them through somatic work. And then we end on relationships and how you can use your romantic relationship as an arena for self-growth. I just love connecting with women like Janelle, so real and just a total nerd about growth and experiencing life as expansively as we can. She and I have known each other for a while now via the internet, but we're actually meeting in person in Costa Rica next week, which is going to be super fun. Uh, We'll be posting some of our experience down there with Combo. And later in the day, I'm going to be sitting with Daime, which is also known as Ayahuasca in some circles. So I'll be doing that with several people from my group. And if you'd like to follow us in that experience online, you can follow me on Instagram at JessicaDepatsy underscore. That's D-E-P-A-T-I-E. Okay, I hope you enjoy this episode with Janelle Annette. So I am um, a women's circle facilitator and an inner work guide. So I work along the lines of relationship, romantic relationship. And that's because romantic relationships have this fun way of, mm-hmm. of bringing up everything to the surface. So there's a lot of unresolved um deeper subconscious themes that come out when we're in romantic relationships. So I help women look at their relationship pattern and from there understand what's going on at a deeper level. And we really go to the origins of that. So we look at the, you know, our attachment, early childhood development, uh, family systems, and really understand what is the root of this so that If there's an issue in our relationship pattern, let's say, for example, someone always finds themselves being attracted to emotionally unavailable partners, um, that you could actually understand what's happening underneath that, uh, why that is. And then from there, we can do resolution work so that we can shift that pattern in present day reality. (laughs) Great. I'd love to touch a little bit more on attachment theory because that's something that we haven't talked about on the show yet, but I, I know a little bit about it, but could you dive into that a bit more for us? Yeah, absolutely. Our attachment is developed very early on from ages zero to three. Um, so it can be, we, we understand what our attachment is by looking at our patterns in present day. And then we can make those links because obviously ages zero to three, your hippocampus wasn't developed. You don't actually have the um, ability to store that memory in the same way that you do as an adult. So there's three different categories of attachment styles, and that's anxious, avoidant, and secure. So if we find ourselves in an anxious attachment, it's often this sense of unease, this sense of trying to like grasp for love, um, feeling really unstable without intimacy, without connection, like usually a really hard time being in your own space, a hard time regulating your own emotions, things like this. And if you're an avoidant, intimacy or, or closeness feels very scary and you're you're more likely to keep yourself at a distance and maybe avoid relationships altogether. You might have um, some discomfort with physical touch, not always, but that's just one potential way that that might show up. And yeah, just basically a a deep fear of intimacy. And so what happens is a lot of the time, the anxious and the avoidant kind of pair together nicely Mm because we're going to have this push-pull dynamic. So often the, the anxious person is leaning more in and the avoidant person is kind of pulling back. And somebody who has an anxious attachment style might kind of see this or they might get really upset. And let's say, for example, they, they pull back and maybe that's a tactic. Maybe they know that pulling back is going to 
get the attention of the more avoidant person and that's going to kind of have them to flip so the avoidant will be leaning in more as the, the anxious person pulls back but of course it usually doesn't stay in that direction it kind of typically uh, falls in the anxious person being more of the driver and the uh, avoidant person pulling back more Okay. And so then this third category of secure, is that this phase that we're striving to get to, or is that a completely different type? Yes. Yes. That is what we would want to uh, strive to get to by learning about those behaviors, how to look out for it. So if you're um, an anxious person and you happen to find a secure partner, uh, it's going to be easier for you to kind of meet them in the middle rather than that person that's really pulling back. So finding a secure partner can be something that's really helpful in achieving security ourselves. Um, But secure people are very comfortable with closeness and intimacy, but they don't feel like completely dependent on it. Uh, You know, they'll allow in some external validation, but they don't feel like without it, they're they're lost. Um, They can navigate conflict well. They're strong communicators. So yeah, that's usually the what we're, what we're aiming to get to. And so I can imagine the low vibrational benefit of having an anxious and an avoidant person together for those codependent patterns and that enabling of your, your shadow to, to be there. But what does it look like when let's say two anxious people are together? What does that relationship look like? Um, well, that can be, a lot of different things. Uh, typically, there's less of a charge there because we'll find in a lot of our attraction, we're kind of mirroring some kind of wound. So it's often that two people's wounds kind of fit together nicely. And that's where you see that anxious avoidant dynamic. Mm-hmm. But in a relationship where two people are very anxious, again, it can go so many different ways. But um, in conflict, they'll usually both be getting really anxious. Things might escalate really quickly. Um they are probably going to be using similar tactics of like trying to get each other's attention in certain ways. So that might look like calling or texting a lot. That might look like purposely ignoring so that, you know, you're going to get them to come back to you. And it might even say, let's say two anxious people come together. It might kind of have them flip flop between anxious avoidant themselves because that level of anxiety coming together, uh, doesn't really function usually one person is going to kind of lean one way so they might find themselves in a more of a balanced push-pull dynamic that makes sense because we're always creating that polarity in relationships so Mm -hmm. it makes sense that someone may may switch now I even hesitate to say that because I had heard that you don't really switch is that true if you're an anxious person can you become avoidant or is that fairly set in you mm. um so at a baseline it's usually pretty set and you can do a lot of work and intentional um, practices and kind of putting yourself into new behaviors that might feel a little bit uncomfortable to get to more secure attachment um, some people have both some people are anxious and avoidant simultaneously and i i do find that just in my work and working with a lot of women that they do feel themselves in both categories, but resonate more so with one side. So I wouldn't say you flip completely, but you can kind of bring forward some of the characteristics of the other attachment based on what your other partner is doing. But fundamentally you kind of stick with your, with your same one and it's just small shifts to become more secure. Okay. And so if you were to be working with this methodology, is a secure state a forever state once you've attained it and learned the tools and the practices? Do you stay there or is it a a fluctuation between going back into your avoidant slash anxious state and then becoming secure? I would say it's a constant practice, Mm -hmm. but um, with any with, with developing a deep sense of self-awareness, you're going to be able to catch every time you're kind of going into that. And it might not be right away. You might look back um, and say, oh, I see that that was just my anxiety and maybe I made a big story out of this situation and whatever. So um, 
I wouldn't say that it's this like permanent state and you've just arrived and everything's sunshine and rainbows, but uh, with the level of self-awareness, you can always kind of backtrack and then do like a, a counteracting behavior to kind of bring yourself back into uh, a secure state. So, you know, for an anxious person, this is going to look like self-soothing. So instead of that driving in and, and feeling this deep need to get something from a partner in order to feel soothed, you have to do the work of like pulling back and, and soothing yourself in the moments that your partner can't be there. Of course, you know, partners can soothe you too. That's normal and natural. But that's usually the work of the anxious person. And then for the avoidant, it's to practice leaning in, noticing when you want to pull back, draw away, avoid, and just consciously uh, leaning in and opening yourself up more vulnerably to intimacy. Mm. Okay. So if I were to use my own relationship as an example, I I would say that my husband and I are both avoidant at our core. And I think we got to a place, we got together and we really felt into each other at a place when we were feeling more secure. Otherwise, I don't know if, you know, like you were saying, if two avoidant people really do very well together because like what gets done, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, I'd love to know what your type is. Mm. I um, was definitely more avoidant, <laughs> which is, um, yeah, this is funny because a few years ago, like I was not nurturing and sweet and really caring. Like I kind of had this, like, I'm a bad bitch attitude, which is, uh -huh. <laughs> was such a mask because I'm not, um, but that's just defense mechanisms, right? So it's still a constant practice for me to open up and to feel safe in vulnerability. But just because of all the the work I've done in the rooms I've been in, like it's, it's helped me open up to that. But yeah, I was, I was very avoidant before. Um, it's quite hilarious looking back really. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. I love looking back. Oh gosh. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you facilitate women's circles. Um, in fact, I believe that it was a circle that was your spiritual awakening origin story for this lifetime, at least. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, women's circle. Could you tell us a little bit about what women's circles are and what might women benefit from joining one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So women's circles is, you know, in the name, it's women gathering and we tend to sit in a circle. <laughs> um, but there's so many different ways that it can be held. So, you know, I've done one-off women's circles where we're just like singing together. We're just intention setting or, or whatever. And that's a bit lighter. Um, but my first initiation into this work was through women's circle that focused on shadow work and family systems and really deep ownership of mind and raw authenticity and not holding back. And it was just this it was this environment that I'd never experienced and I loved so much and it was terrifying. It was like so uncomfortable in so many moments, but that really was the work that helped me shift. And of course I've done so many other practices, but that was the, that was the first place that I felt safe to, to open up and to just be expressed in who I really am, you know, shadow and and all and just be more accepting of that because the foundation is self-acceptance really in shadow work mm, absolutely mm -hmm. i want to get more into shadow work obviously but mm -hmm. i did want to ask you your opinion on this so i've gotten a couple of messages and emails from uh, individuals like men and women wondering why certain gr groups and programs are just for men just for women do you have any thoughts on why women's circles in your experience operate so well with just women or people who identify mm -hmm. as women? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few points I can make to that. Um, first, what I will say is I have done this work with men as well. And it's a, it's a very different um, game and it's, it's, I shouldn't say game, but it's very different mm -hmm. and it works too. But uh, with women's circles, I, in my experience, or at least the way that I've seen them operating, is that we're working with a bit more of like a feminine energy. It's a little bit more nurturing, although we'll still go into, you know, radical vulnerability and, and, and authenticity and, and be really real and raw with each other. Um, it's just typically done 
with a little bit more of a nurturing presence. Whereas with men's circles and men's groups, it's a lot about purpose work um, and men feeling like connected to that and anger work. So men processing their anger. We do that as well in women's circles, but I just would say the focus isn't as much there. Um, And that's, again, this is just through these circles that I've seen. It's so different across the board, but yeah, you're just working with a little bit of different dynamics and women really working on like receiving and, um, you know, talking about our menstrual cycles too, and like pairing up with how we could live our lives differently uh, if we based it around our cycle. And yeah, there's just something that happens when women are, are together in that way. And for some women, and it depends on your history, but you know, you're going to feel a lot different around a group of women than you are around men in that, you know, we'll go into our, uh, based on our, our relationship to our parents and such, but uh, one might feel really terrified and triggered being in a group of women, like another woman, or she might feel so much more comfortable. So it really depends on that. And either way, it's, it's a chance to really heal your relationship with that, uh, with that sex and opposed to doing it all at once, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. What's coming to mind right now is when we're in kindergarten and we tend to group into groups of people that we look like. And usually, you know, it's the girls on one side and the boys on the other side. And then often there's some outliers like you're talking about. Some girls feel more comfortable with the boys and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something really natural about finding which which energy you feel most comfortable with, because it sounds like these circles that you run and that you've been a part of, a big important aspect of that is that sense of safety so that you mm-hmm. can expend out of your comfort zone and do that shadow work and go into the depths of your soul that you don't usually go into either by yourself or even with some of your best friends. So I can mm-hmm. imagine that creating that that container of, okay, I'm around people that are like me in one way or the other, even if it's just a projection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'd love to know what some of your favorite shadow work practices are, your personal shadow work practices. Mm. Um, I mean, I find most of my practices in this sense are kind of just more automatic and ways of thinking. Uh, Of course, it was, it originated with more of a a guided process that I would do in a lot of these circles. So um, one that I just will use frequently, and I can share more about the processes that we would have done in in those containers because they were quite intense, uh, but is the moment I notice myself either like judging somebody or feeling either better than or less than in some way in comparison is immediately stopping and seeing what the projection is and what the reflection is showing me about myself. So of course it's not always black and white, like, Oh, you know, this person is, is confident and uh, maybe really embodied in their like sexuality. If I judge them for that, that doesn't mean I'm exactly the same way as they are. It could be that, you know, I have that comp, I had that confidence in that sexuality, but maybe it's been like repressed or shamed and I have that within me, but it's not being allowed to be let out. So I'm, I'm judging them in the same way that I judge myself to, to um, push that side of me down. So they can either be showing you something that you do similarly that you don't accept about yourself or something that, you know, you've rejected in yourself for so long that it's kind of become repressed. And so, um, Cause I think that that's a great, great example because I know that a lot of women struggle with sexuality in particular. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a part of a, a women's group called wild awakened women run by mm-hmm. Ashley Mays and um, Lindsay. Oh gosh. Can't remember her last name. Sorry, Lindsay. <laughs> it's a great group. And they, they talk about sexuality and play. That is their, their mode of awakening and healing for women and hearing these mm-hmm. stories about how either I went hard out of the gate I feel like I used up all of my sexuality too early. Now I'm feeling very like ashamed of my past. And so I've turned into a bit of a prude and, uh, and a protective, have built a lot of walls around my sexuality to the point where it's hard for me to even access when I want to, or they've had all those walls cultured into them or they were just born with it 
from generational wounding or whatever. And now they're looking to explore it for the first time. So in sticking with that example, because I feel like you have a lot of depth in this, how could, do you have any practices or any journaling prompts or things to consider or contemplate for women that are seeing, you know, they're in Costa Rica, like you are and seeing these beautiful women in Santa Teresa and just being like, Oh, like, why can't I be more like that? Or, Oh, look at her showing off. Like, what are some of the things that they can consider when they have those reactive or those projections? Yeah. So, I mean, when you, when you recognize that projection or, you know, perhaps that part of you that does want to come out, um, what can happen as you first start doing shadow work is sometimes a lot of shame can come out because you're having to take ownership, right? And see, oh, this is really coming from me and my own self-rejection. So first of all, is when you notice that, also notice if there is shame coming up. And the work there is then to do self-acceptance work and to understand like, where did this part of me get repressed? Or where did I learn that it wasn't okay to be, you know, maybe sexual or, or to show off, right? Like, where did I adopt that narrative? Or, you know, how am I just not accepting myself and my body? And so working from there, like getting really curious about it, and that will often lead us to compassion, compassionate understanding, because typically, you know, that's some narrative that was adopted early on in life. And, you know, it's created internal pain. And it's not something that is you know, there to make you feel shameful. Shadow work is never meant to make you feel shameful. It's really just for you to understand yourself on more levels. And as we look to what is the self-rejection, we can also see clearer on where self-acceptance is needed. And of course, self-acceptance is a journey and it takes time, but the more compassionate we can be with ourselves to understand like, how did I develop in this way? And again, get these beliefs that are causing me to judge. Um, we can, we can heal from that place. And something you can do just to kind of get to the compassion quicker is, you know, inner child work and really just envisioning yourself as a child that, you know, maybe at one point when you were young, we're told to stop showing off. Or maybe, you know, you watched your mom talk about how much she didn't like her body. And you learned in that way what it meant to be a woman and what the rules were. And it's likely at some point, along that time, you, you developed your own shame and pain that you've been carrying. So the compassion is, is the most important lens there, in my opinion, uh, with shadow work. Mm, That's beautiful. Inner child work is one of my favorite shadow work practices. Also, I think it's so beneficial. Um, A lot of people will have such strong emotional reactions when they see pictures of themselves when they're younger. And that just goes to show how, how much we love ourselves often in this industry, I hesitate to say industry, but you know what we're doing right now, talking mm-hmm. about how we can become better, more whole versions of ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. A thing that's talked about often is self-love. And I think that self-love is inherent in us. If we can go back and think about ourselves as five years old, as seven years old, do you love that person? And if you have that emotional reaction, I believe that inherently we do have self-love and it's, it's less about learning to love ourselves, but being reconnected to that love and just like waking up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, about inner child work, one of my favorite ways of using it is to consider or just imagine going back in time and finding that younger version of yourself at a moment of, of crisis. I can remember myself sitting at a lunch table all by myself and having no friends. So I was kind of a weird kid, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at least that was my story for a long time that I'm weird and people don't mm-hmm. like me. And I was looking for all of these reasons why I'm different than everybody else. And going through this visualization of seeing myself in my little Catholic school girl uniform, sitting at that lunch table, just dreading lunch every day because I knew that I'd have to sit by myself. Um, I went back in time as my 34 year old self. And I sat with her there and I was like, what do you need right now? And Mm -hmm. we had this conversation and this visualization, it comes more naturally to some people than others. 
I think visualization is something that you need to train just like any muscle in your body, like any skill that you have. And so it actually took me quite a long time to get this visualization muscle really worked. But after I started having real conversations, going back in time, then giving this younger version of myself some tools, I wasn't necessarily changing her her destiny. I wasn't changing the experiences that she was going to have, but I felt my 34-year-old self feel like her experience was different when she mm-hmm. grew up and became me. And so it gets a little bit, you know, um, esoteric in, in that realm, but it's so practical when if the only thing that matters, whether that's true or not, you know, wh- whether I went back in time or not is irrelevant if it helped me awaken a part of myself and get rid of some blocks. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's esoteric and I think in some fashions and, but there's, there's actually, you know, uh, science that goes into this. And this is just things that I've heard from people that have spent far longer researching this. But when we are using things like visualization, part of your brain doesn't recognize that that's not actually happening. So visualization is so powerful because you can create these healing experiences in your mind. And as we're learning more about the brain, it's that there's this neuroplasticity and we can we can rewire and we can make new connections. And so when we use visualization, it is in a sense in your at least current present day mind, uh, creating a new experience. And and we do that by, by like connecting with those emotions. So something I work with a lot is visualization with women because that's, uh, that's such a, it's such a powerful and impactful tool. And I love how you said asking her, like, what do you need? Because that's often the missing, you know, it's a missing key. Mm-hmm. Is that missing need? Like, what did your inner child always want, you know, maybe from from like most likely from mom and dad that, you know, she didn't feel like or he didn't feel like they ever got. And that's often how we're going to be looking to be loved by partners um, as we're adults, because there's that sense of um, lack within us of that need. So that's a really, really important clue in this work. And that's never to shame or blame our parents. Um, actually, the most important thing is to have understanding for them too, because holding on to resentments is, is not productive in, in our healing work. That doesn't mean we have to say it was okay if maybe we had a really difficult childhood, that it was okay that everything that happened, but we can you know, acknowledge that they were at least doing the best with the resources and tools uh, that they had so that we can be liberated of that pain. And we can just learn to like let go and, and move on, even if that means, you know, we're still keeping boundaries there if, if that's necessary. Um, yeah. Mm, beautiful. Um, if you don't mind, I'd love to dive more into some of the women that you work with uh, to understand what are common blocks or common shadows that you found that the people that you worked with are coming across or working with? Because I know that, you know, we're all unique beings, but when it comes down to problems and blocks and shadows, they have a, there's not too many of them, right? (laughs) They're they're often Uh very similar. Um, What are some other common blocks and shadows you've seen? Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I, I hear with women is this pattern of like overgiving and um, overcompensating and then not prioritizing their needs. And then what happens is they overgive and this is the role that they take on in that codependent relationship. And then they build resentment where they've not actually been communicating what they need or uh, setting boundaries or, or doing it. So they kind of put themselves in this position and then have a lot of resentment to their their partner of like, you don't see all the things I do and they feel like depleted and, and yeah. So a big part of that is understanding like, where did that role develop? Where did you learn to do that? And that was, you know, a lot of the time it's, that's how they feel worthy is by giving. So practicing receiving component of that um, and setting boundaries and learning to actually check in, like, how do I actually get familiar with how I'm feeling and what I need and how can I make that a priority? Yay. Okay. That brings us into relationships. So around creating boundaries, let's just role play for a sec. I'm one of your more jaded clients. I don't know if you call them clients, but I'm I'm one of the more jaded women in your circle. 
And mm-hmm. I've been doing the work on myself for a long time, but I'm really struggling with boundaries. Like not a lot has changed. I have a lot of information on why I should take care of myself and self-love and boundaries and yada, yada, all this stuff. But Janelle, like what seriously can I do? Because I have five kids. My husband works all day. Literally, when do I have the time to be able to prioritize things other than the things that seem like they need to be done right now? Hmm. So, I mean, the first thing in, in that scenario would be not being so hard on yourself. I mean, this is kind of just step one. I always kind of lead with this in terms of like, trying to do all these things if you're like a busy mom or you know your life is just really hectic I you know having compassion there too so that you're not it's really important in any kind of healing work is that if you're struggling with one kind of pattern let's say is not to put this expectation to have it all figured out because what happens is then we're saying I'm still not good enough until I master this one thing so we're actually perpetuating shame and like I'll be good enough when, meaning I'm not good enough now. And we can do this with healing work too, which is kind of besides the point. So the first thing is I'd say be really compassionate and slow. And if you've been running with this program for, you know, most of your entire life, it's going to be hard to change. Um, So in the moments that you truly can take time and space for yourself and that fits in your schedule and you, the first thing is just having deep awareness of that, of like, when am I, um, when am I pushing my needs away? When could I actually be taking more time for myself? Um, where could I ask for more help? Asking for help is a big one, and that can be highly, highly uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially if they're in that role of overgiving, because it feels so foreign. Um, so that's a big one, and it's a practice, and to work with, I'd say, the emotional energy in your body so whenever anything is like we just have all this information and we're feeling stuck and actually shifting it we usually have to do more work in the body meaning we have to get more familiar with the automatic uh, responses and the automatic felt senses that come up when we're engaging in a certain kind of pattern So if like every time you had a moment to take for yourself or you had an opportunity to say, hey, I really need some space or hey, could you help me with this? You might notice you like freeze up and it just doesn't work and it doesn't come out. So that's the the moment that we need to work with. And I'm not just going to tell somebody, oh, we'll just set a boundary in that moment because they're like, yeah, I'm trying. It's not not fucking working. (laughs) Um. So the step there is to go, okay, in that moment, can I stop? Can I slow down? Can I uh, close my eyes? Can I scan my body? And can I pick up for some, pick up for some sensations that are happening um, in my body, the somatic approach? And can I bring all my awareness to this sensation and get really familiar with it? If we actually just do that for a few minutes, we can usually shift a lot of that energy or that block that might be coming up and we could do some breathing work to regulate our nervous systems we might feel at that point more capable to set a boundary or do what we need what we need or we might not and we might need to do that you know five or six more times until it gets more familiar in our in our um, approach i'm really glad that you brought up somatic work and i apologize if i say this on every episode but (laughs) For real, this is my favorite, (laughs) my favorite shadow work process. It's like sometimes more often than not, things don't need processing. It just needs to be released. And I think in the shadow work state of mind, we can get stuck in over-processing and analyzing everything and just being like, oh, that needs to get fixed. And our list of shadow work starts to get kind of long and and daunting, but often not everything Mm -hmm. needs a reaction, right? And so- this was one of the most helpful practices that I learned, which was, yeah, feeling into those areas of your body. And I don't know how you do this. I'd actually like to learn more about that. Um, Mm -hmm. The way that I had gotten comfortable doing this is feeling where that tension is, really setting a container though, that I'm going to release a block because often what can happen is 
you know, your phone's right by you, you're feeling a trigger and you want it to go away. You want that emotion to go away. And you're like, okay, I'm going to do this somatic work, but then you haven't really truly set the container for yourself. And so you're getting distracted. You're in your head too much. You're bouncing around from somatic work to how can I fix it? How can I process this? Where, you know, just sitting down and committing five minutes, five to 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. lighting a candle, um, creating a stack for yourself, right? Uh, like turning on some music, putting on some incense mm-hmm. and just being like, okay, for the next five minutes, I'm just going to feel into my body, breathe mm-hmm. through the tension, ask where my heart needs. Let's say it's in your heart, what your heart mm-hmm. needs at that moment. And mm-hmm. if it's to, let's say I need to feel less freaked out right now. Okay. Well then turning that into some kind of affirmation. Well, what do you need then? What, what would be the opposite of that? Okay. Well, I need to feel more love. Okay, why? What kind of love? You know, what does that look like? And then sometimes a guided action can come from that. And sometimes that's all you need to do. And that's that. And you can move on, which I like. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like to do lots of work. I'm kind of lazy. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if, if the release can go after a couple breaths, and that's not spiritual bypassing, by the way, it's it's a release of energy and it's ex- doing exactly what it needs mm-hmm. to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm all for, you know, less is more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you brought all that up. I've I've definitely gone through waves of like over-processing and like being so in my head that it just felt like it was way too much all the time. And I was like, I'm not living my life. And I I went through all this resistance to the work. And then I realized I'm just not actually taking responsibility for my own level of like fun and play in, in my life. And so I learned how to balance that. And and now everything feels pretty natural. Like if if something comes up, I can kind of quickly process it in my mind. And then more of my work has shifted to the body. Um, so I, I do something quite similar to what you described of like setting a container and even just for five minutes, that's often all we really need actually, which is quite incredible. Um, and I, I got this, uh, mantra from, uh, Mark Woolwin and he ran this fantastic facilitator training that I, I recently completed and one of the the sentences the healing sentences you could call it that he works with that I love and I'm, I use now and I, I uh, share this with my clients is having like two hands on your body I like to connect with okay so if I'm feeling all this energy in like my heart space I'm going to bring one hand there and I'm also going to have one maybe on like my belly or my womb that's kind of where I like to like hold myself and bringing the full awareness to that sensation, just noticing how it feels, being meditative in a sense, like not often thought, trying to understand exactly what it means, just feeling. And then the, the sentence is, I'll breathe with you until you feel safe. Mm. And every time it just like opens up a door, like I just got goosebumps saying <laughs> it now. It's just a powerful sentence. Like you're, you're talking to yourself, you're kind of talking to that, maybe that inner child, like that has been, you know, feeling that pattern or that emotional energy for a long time. And you're just like creating safety right there in the moment. Um, and then giving that space as much as you can. And then once you're feeling kind of complete and that energy has shifted, um, being intentional about inviting in an experience of like gratitude and love. So, you know, maybe thinking of a moment in your life that you were really grateful and to, to finish off in that way. And again, it's, it's not spiritual bypassing because you, you gave yourself this space to feel the challenging emotion and fully move through it. What you're doing is creating a new pathway. So you're showing yourself, I can go into these challenging emotions and fully feel them and then I can come out of it. So you're, you're creating more of a fluid path where some people might get really stuck or wrapped in those challenging emotions and not be able to get out of it. It's, um, it's part of a rewiring to to finish off with some experience that can help you feel regulated and safe in your body too. Okay. I'm glad that you elaborated on that because I love when you get geeky about stuff. <laughs> right. Everything I say is full geek mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of awesome. And also I would imagine people may wonder if with suspicion, is that how simple it is to release stuck energy and to release blocks, I would say, yeah, it is that easy. But then also it's just as easy to create more blocks from your, for yourself. So, mm-hmm. you know, like after you've created your container and you're feeling with that safety, uh, do you have any integration practices to help people from recreating that block in their body and in their minds again? 
Mm. Well, I believe that we're, we're going to feel that block in a variety of different scenarios. So you might release it um, to a certain degree. If this is something that you've been holding on to for a long time, it might look more like moving through layers of it. Like, so that's where you might see that repeat block is that, let's say another situation in your life kind of felt similar to something that happened when you were really young. And so that's usually that reactionary space. We're often reacting to situations that are not actually happening in the moment. Um, so there's part of our mind that can't actually distinguish what was happening is happening now in reality versus what happened then. So we'll go into these, these responses. So in, in my way of seeing it, it's more like going through constant layers of it. And so just really keen awareness. And I think for integration, having daily check-ins, like not just when you're having some big reactive moment and you have to go in, like if you can actually sit every single day and do what's called a somatic scan, um, going from head to toe and just with your awareness and, and feeling everything, you can check in with yourself. How am I feeling in my body? Can I connect this with any kind of emotion? And based on this, what do I need? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the more familiar we get with this, the quicker we can pick up on when we're experiencing like a reaction or when something's happening in our body and we'll be really quick to know what we need as a result. I love it. I'm going to add that to my morning routine. Yeah. <laughs> a great one. Feeling a need check-in. Yeah. I love that. Um, my morning routine is getting really long though. So I'm going to start <laughs> yeah. deleting something. <laughs> yeah. 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 That happened to me. I was like two hours and I was like, okay, this is starting to feel like a second job. I got to like, change some things up. <laughs> right. All of a sudden it's time for your night routine. You're like, okay, I got nothing done today. <laughs> <laughs> morning routine straight tonight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not suggested. Um, so, okay. I want to get into the big, big topic that I was, um, I mean, I'm excited to talk about all this with you, but I really wanted to touch on relationships and mm. your specialty on like observing a relationship as this arena to for self-growth. Like, where should we even start with that topic? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest clues is by is seeing uh, the patterns that you carry and often people kind of can understand this or see this at a certain point down the line maybe they've had a few relationships or maybe they've had none and that's the pattern in itself but everyone can often find some common themes so like looking at who are you commonly attracted to what characteristics do they carry? Even if you're in a long-term relationship now, you could look back on your relationship history and just look for these common themes. So wanting to see like what they represent. Um, one great check-in is like, are you attracted to people that you um, believe in some way are better than you or less than you? So and that's not always the case, but often there's some kind of pedestaling that is happening and that'll kind of indicate what role you might be trying to take on. So like if you're trying to save somebody from their pain and or like fix them or or do something, that might be how you, you find that you uh, get a lot of your worth in relationships. Or maybe you want to um, be with somebody that you see as better and you, you kind of are trying to... Um, prove something through being with this person of high status or you want what they have but you don't feel like you have it yet or so on so that's just one way of kind of looking at it but to where you would start is mostly just trying to see what are the common um commonalities and how do I often feel in relationship am I often feeling uh, anxious and like I'm really trying to get their love or am I often feeling terrified of it and am I shutting down a lot am I Am I holding back parts of my authenticity? So yeah, just looking for as many themes as you can you can see. Okay, so let's let's use the example that you started off with of pedestaling your partner. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you do with that information once you've solidified that yes, this is a this is a recurring pattern, and I'm in a relationship currently with somebody who I've pedestaled. Mm hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of once we get this data and we can see what are the patterns are forming is when we 
I'm, and, and this is the progression I do in my program, but you go from that into looking at um, your family system. So you might have found that you took on some kind of role in your family system. Um, in, in that scenario, perhaps you had some older siblings that you kind of always wanted to be like or felt were cool or something like that. Like you might be able to find a link there. Um, you can look at your relationship individually to your parents um, or your parents' relationship to each other. Uh, because our first idea of what it looks like to be a woman is from our mom. And, you know, the same with the, with our, if we have, um, of course, you know, a, a mom and a dad, some people have same sex parents or whatever. So you can kind of adapt this to whatever is true for you. But if you had mom and dad, um, then you also drive like what you, uh, what role a man plays, right. Or what it means to be a man. So if you're a female who's attracted to men, um, and you find that you're attracted to men that are on a pedestal, you could look for, is that a parent uh, or a pattern that my parents were carrying? Was my mom kind of in that position or do I at least interpret her in that way? Um, so that's more of like the understanding of where it could be developed. And then a more straight across the board thing would be to ask yourself, is there something about this person that I want to awaken within myself or I desire or that I'm suppressing because um, sometimes that can be our way of trying to uh, get to what we want by by being with this person where we see them at this level. Oh, I love that. Now for people who may have a difficult time remembering their childhood or have mm -hmm. disassociated from a lot of those memories. Mm -hmm. What uh, what would you suggest for them if they have yeah difficulty accessing the past? Yeah, so if that is a clue in itself if you don't have a lot of memories. Um, but I do want to say you don't need to have all the memories there to to work through this. Um, so that's why looking at the current present day relationship is really important and can be as much as you know of what you need. Um. In the resolution work that uh, I do, and a lot of this was learned again through Mark Woolwin, is just going back and creating a he healing experience um, with our parents. So even if we don't have exactly the context to why we developed in that way, we might have a uh, conversation with them in our minds to, to heal some of those patterns that we're seeing coming up. So healing sentences might sound like, um, you know, having, hearing your, your parent say, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I recognize that that was hard for you. Um, and I wish I could have shown up more for you in that way. Cause often we'll have some idea at least of, you know, maybe there's a, a parental relationship where there's a lot of tension or of unhealed dynamic. So, yeah. Does that answer your question? You don't have to be mm -hmm. so specific with the memory, just more of the the dynamic. Yeah, definitely. Are there any types of people that have a really difficult time going through this transformational process? Yes. Um, obviously, if you've had um, more of a traumatic life, and I believe we all have trauma, and I, I think that the term trauma is being expanded upon. Like people are recognizing that it's not just this giant catastrophic event, um, but people that do have more severe trauma might um, need a more gentle approach. And I always recommend somatic work for everybody, um, but especially if you've had a really difficult childhood. Um, and you can still do all of this work 100%, but I just recommend having um, some practice first in regulating your nervous system or maybe working with a somatic therapist so that you can feel safe enough to go into this and it not be like so um, triggering or so activating. Mm, okay, mm. great. Now, I know that another common thing that comes up for women or anybody in relationship is that they're starting to see themselves grow as people and they're not seeing it from their partner or they're not interested in that at the moment, or, you know, they're living in their own world of, of their current reality. Uh, how do you work with women that are in, or anybody that's in that situation where they're like, you know, they're mm -hmm. trying to pull their partners along, it's creating conflict. They're trying to heal them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is a super common thing that comes up. So the good news is, is you don't necessarily need your partner to be doing the same level of inner work that you might be doing. And that's because the way that you show up in relationship is going to influence that dynamic. So I'm, I'm kind of getting this off of a quote, and I think it's from Harriet Lerner, and I'm, I'm not going to say the quote because I can't remember, <laughs> but um, it's something along the lines of relationships are a dance, and when you change the you change the steps or something the dance can no longer go on (laughs) so Mm. within that if you think about you know often inside a relationship there's these kind of dynamics maybe it's a bit of this back and forth or maybe there's a common fight that you always have or some reoccurring situation so if you're doing your own inner work and you choose to show up to that situation differently they are going to be invited into showing up differently as well because you're not engaging in the same dynamic that you were before. So you don't even need to tell them. And we're really not there to heal our partner or be like their their therapist. It's it's more so that we can invite them and give permission um, to do their own work by just sharing our own process. So that might look like, you know, instead of Um, avoiding some conflict and not talking about it and letting it build and then, you know, talking about them behind their back or something that might look Mm -hmm. like leading and and saying, hey, can we sit down? I want to really share about what's coming up for me, um, you know, around my needs or my feelings, not even making it about them, just sharing. Like, I notice that I normally avoid and then I've been doing this thing where I'm mad at you behind your back and I don't share just full radical ownership and vulnerability. And when you're not pointing the finger and doing like the blame, you need to peel and you need to change this, people are going to respond. And they're also going to learn vicariously through your experience. And they'll probably um, apply that same thinking to themselves because it feels safer when they're not having the the finger pointed at them. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are also going to be times when you have that conversation with your partner. And even though there's not blame and shame coming out of your mouth verbally, they may be feeling it, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're Mm -hmm. with somebody who is fairly self-aware, they're going to realize that the reason why you feel, you may feel these certain ways is because potentially they're not showing up, right? Mm -hmm. And so like you, you said that you speak with a lot of men about anger. Um, That's another thing that I've come across quite a bit is that partners often will have anger despite having that really calm, well thought out conversation because they're, de- they just deal with it a little bit differently. Yeah. Just, just anger work is, is really important for both sides. Um, also, I mean, it, this isn't always across the board with men, women typically, but it's definitely not an always, always thing. We have like uh, default emotions and it's typically between anger and sadness there's there's a default so typically again not always I'm actually more prone to anger but um, women will be more in the <laughs> feel safer being sad um, and then men typically feel a bit safer being angry again not always the case that's more of a generalization but um, to learn how to process the opposite emotion of the default So I shouldn't say opposite because anger and sadness are quite connected. But if you're more prone to maybe your feelings are hurt and you go straight to anger, it can be more of a defense. Like, you know, I don't care, whatever, like, fuck them. And Mm -hmm. and you kind of aren't actually dealing with the underlying sadness that's there. Um, So your work would be to connect with the sadness. And then vice versa is if you're always going to sadness and getting really... um, lost in that maybe it was actually that somebody did something that wasn't cool with you and you're crying or you default to sadness but you don't set a boundary so we need to be connected with both emotions because they both have um, an energy that will be helpful for us in navigating these relationship dynamics Um, so it's kind of it's a good check-in to say where do I feel more comfortable and how can I practice um, working with the other emotion more Mm, great So one of the last things that I wanted to touch on with you is for all the single people out there, this Mm -hmm. is a rough time to be single. I think, um, just given Mm -hmm. that a lot of our, a lot of our methods of going out and meeting people have been dampered a bit, Mm -hmm. you work with a lot of single women, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. So to touch on that a bit, what are some of the 
some of the, um, yeah, if you could share just some of the common struggles of having that single life at the moment and what you're working with these women to embrace about themselves as they're exploring a different way of meeting people or like preparing themselves to meet their partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, so far it's actually been kind of this, uh, uplifting experience, I guess, for women that join into this work. I'm not saying it's like easy or amazing all the time, but um, for a lot of them, they've they've decided to kind of pull back and they maybe really saw like, wow, I've really been in this one pattern for a long time and I really want to shift it. And so there's been a lot of like going within. And of course, you don't need to do all this this stuff in a, in a romantic relationship. You can just simply look at your past and your history and and then go into your or your, your history of relationship and then go into your, your past with your, with your family system. So there's so much work that can be done there just with the self. A lot of the practice comes when we're actually in the, the relationship, but the awareness can come and we can still practice in friendships and in, in all kinds of relationships. So I think it's actually a good time to, uh, go into the self if you're not dating and you're not kind of being, tempted to fall back into old patterns so that you can really like get clear and and integrate all that you need to integrate and um, you know start doing practices and emotional regulation things so that come the time when you're dating again you'll kind of be very prepped and prepared um, and know what to look for like what you're wanting to call in in a partnership uh, what your non-negotiables are you know these are things that are kind of straight across the board, like, you know, willing to communicate and respectful of my boundaries. We don't want to make these too complicated because, you know, we're not trying to like, you know, manifest Ryan Reynolds like or something <laughs> like that. But like we want to make it realistic and not this like long list of things because that's usually just coming from ego anyway. We just want to say, okay, based on my patterns, I really need to call somebody and that's respectful of my boundaries so that it I feel safe in setting them or I feel capable of setting them. And, you know, maybe I have a hard time communicating. So um, at least somebody that's willing to communicate when I bring that forward. So yeah, getting clear on that. I love it. It's like, it's training, you know, it reminds mm -hmm. me of this old military quote, like, um, it's like, you're not going to rise to the level of your expectations. You're going to fall to the level of your training. So mm. I think relationships are this classic example of a situation where we're just expected to crush in and mm -hmm. often it takes us a lot of relationships and or training like this to learn more about yourself learn more about what you desire um and learning about your boundaries so that when you show up in that arena of relationship you're you're good to go and of course those relationships never look like what we expect them to but i think that's the magic of the work that you do with the self-secure mm -hmm. method is helping women really tune into their soul and learning to surrender to then what happens based on free will, you know, based on this unknown destiny ahead of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to have the awareness that it, it doesn't really go away. And so that's like, I, I kind of call it like pain being painfully aware. And that means you can still go ahead into patterns and, you know, maybe some things feel a little bit more stuck, but you'll always know how to catch them playing out. You'll know how to have the tools to kind of counteract them. And eventually it just becomes more second nature. And you look back and it's been, you know, maybe a few months or maybe a, a year or two and everything looks wildly different because you've been committed to awareness and working through things as best as you can as they come up. And it's just with that level of effort that we can really change everything. I'm really glad you had also brought up that it's uplifting work. It, it mm -hmm. could, a lot of the things that we're talking about, you know, with healing and all of that, it sounds mm -hmm. sort of dark, but mm -hmm. this work is fun, right? Like I can just, mm -hmm. so I'd love to tell me a little bit about some of the results the women that have gone through your course have experienced or that have worked with you. Hmm. Yeah, it's a big range. Um, I'd say like the main ones that are consistent is um, more confidence. And that's not from this like egoic sense of being better than it's more of a, a deep sense of knowing your worth and feeling more empowered and speaking up for what you want and what you need and what you deserve. So um, confidence and empowerment from like worthiness and, and self love. Um, 
and then more like specifically one one uh one woman was in an almost like it was a long-term relationship that could have gone toward marriage and she was trying to decide do I want to be with this person or not and I'm never going to advise in that sense I just create um the open-ended questions and I help people get to these conclusions in their own way we did a lot of work around this she ended up um leaving the relationship and then a while later met this other person and she's been kind of trying to find more of a long-term partner for a long time or, or marriage I should say and um, now she's with somebody and she followed all the steps meaning she like really got clear on what she wanted and her non-negotiables and she spoke her needs and she did all these things that she had never done and met this person who she said at first it was felt kind of boring. And we talked about that because if you're often in this very charged, um, chaotic pattern, it's going to feel really intense and passionate and fiery. But sometimes that's just because our deep wounds are being activated. It's not actually that functional. And it's kind of this, you know, mistaking chaos for love. And so that was kind of happening, but she knew to look out for that. And she said it kind of felt boring at first, but I, I'd stayed because I could tell that it was a good fit. And you know, now they're, they're actually engaged and are getting married soon. And so I got like the sweetest email ever from her. I cried when I read it. It was just so beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. What more could you want? I found myself and now I found my forever person. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And of course that's not always the outcome that will come from it, but, um, that has been quite common in that women at least know what to look for and, and how to show up in relationships so they can get the the kind of relationship they want, even if that means um, saying no to a lot of potential candidates that they may have <laughs> allowed in before. Right. You know, in the West, we are, and I even pose this question kind of unfairly asking for results, mm-hmm. but there's so much value in just the process of doing it. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, the process of learning about yourself, whether your life Mm -hmm. literally looks any different or not, Mm -hmm. it does shift your reality so that Mm -hmm. sure, maybe you're still going to the same job and you still go to the same grocery store and you're still quarantined in your house, but it just Mm -hmm. feels more expansive, like something exciting is happening. Yeah. And I think there's this like in doing this work and having these tools and this awareness, there's this feeling of being at least for me, and I, I've talked about this with some of my clients, is like this con- being content. And it's not, you know, this really, it doesn't always have to be this drastic, happy, like crazy ecstatic thing, but this sense of like contentment, knowing like, I'm going to be okay getting through what life is going to bring me because I know how to work with it. I know how to be supported by others. I know how to support myself. So there's a sense of like safety and trust in life that can kind of be restored through having the awareness and the tools. And I just find it brings a lot more peace to the day to day and you don't end up in as many spirals of, of fear and what could happen and, and so many things. Um, I talk about relationships, but like it's, it's really this internal relationship that changes everything around us because we're relating differently to the world as we shift the internal relationship. Mm, amazing. So your self-secure method, you are, by the time this launches, you'll be running your cohort. And, but I do know that there's gonna be a wait list for the next class. Is that right? Yes, that is right. So you can find the waitlist through um, my link in my bio and then you'll get um, immediately an email and it'll give you some more information. And once enrollment opens up again, you'll get another email and you can book a call with me. And so the call is really great because it's really just a chance for me to get to know you more, understand your specific patterns, where you're at in your journey. And if it's a perfect fit, I'll invite you in. And then if it's not, I'll just give you other resources and recommendations to help you wherever you're at. Awesome. I'll put your Instagram account in the show notes. And uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we hop off? Hmm. I'd say just wherever you're at in your journey. And I, I mentioned this earlier, but be more excited about what you've shifted rather than critical of what you have not. Because when you're doing this work and just I think a lot of the ways that we think as humans is this striving to be better and like I said earlier we don't want to try to be motivating ourselves out of shame and not being good enough in the moment 
So what's been really impactful for me is just reflecting and celebrating the wins and the little shifts rather than holding myself to expectations that, um, you know, ended up making me feel less than because I hadn't, you know, achieved that certain mark in my healing, or maybe I struggled with one really sticky pattern or something. So just more self-celebration along the way. And it kind of lightens the, the darkness and the intensity of shadow work. So well said. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And I also want to say that I really respect and appreciate how you are citing where you're learning your methods from. I always, I always love when people do that because while everything mm-hmm. is open source and there's no, there's no need to do that. I always appreciate when people do, cause just, you know, you're spreading the love from your teachers and all that. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I love yeah. that. Amazing oh. mentor. So definitely uh, is due. <laughs> it's a good, it's important. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm going to see you next week in Costa Rica. We're meeting up for some jungle time. <laughs> yes. I know. It's such perfect timing. It's, it's amazing. Meant to be. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thank you for hopping on and I'll talk to you again soon. Hey, thanks, Jessica. Talk soon. <laughs>